with an increasing number of data breaches impacting customer trust, prioritizing data privacy and security is more important than ever. However, as you layer on security and privacy, the overall complexity of a system grows and the data gets harder to use. There's a constant push and pull between securing and locking down the data, but still being able to use it. Skyflow Data Privacy Vault isolates, secures, stores, and tightly controls access to manage and use sensitive data. With secure workflow support, developers are able to securely execute custom code, de-identify and transform data, and securely share data all within the secure compliant environment of the world, balancing data security and usability. Amruta Muktali, the Chief Product Officer of Skyflow, joins the show to discuss Skyflow's Data Privacy Vault APIs, running secure workflows, and the engineering behind the technology. This episode is hosted by Sean Falconer. Sean's been an academic founder and Googler. He has published works covering a wide range of topics, from information visualization to quantum computing. Currently, Sean is Head of Developer Relations and Product Marketing at Skyflow and host of the podcast, Partiality Redacted, a podcast about privacy and security engineering. Amruta, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. It, it does feel a little strange for me as hosting this podcast is something I kind of do on the side for fun. But we actually work together in the real world, so now I'm interviewing you. It's like my two worlds are colliding. There's a, a crossover happening between you know Sean's work life and my hobby life, uh, but that's okay. You know, I've never been super great at sort of separating those things anyway. But uh, perhaps let's kick things off with an introduction to the listeners. So, who are you? What's your educational background, and how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, it's uh, kind of weird for me too, you know, being interviewed by a coworker. But uh, it's awesome to be here. Uh, for everyone who's listening, uh, I'm Amruta Mokhtali. I'm currently the Chief Product Officer at Skyflow. Uh, my journey here has been, uh, gosh, I'm aging myself now quite long, almost two decades. Uh, I do come from an engineering background, computer science, master's and, uh, you know, master's and uh, undergrad. Um, I started my career as an engineer, uh, and then I accidentally switched into product management. Uh, it was an accident because, you know, I graduated when the market was not great. And then I said, give me the job you can give me. And they said, you can be a great technical product manager doing identity products and stuff. So that's that's kind of how my career started in Microsoft, actually. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to work on several interesting products. And uh, it's funny, what the biggest product I worked on in Microsoft correlates to what I'm doing now because uh, I built the digital locker in Microsoft, which was, you know, used to store keys. And again, I'm aging myself where we actually did, went from disks to software downloads of Windows. And uh, so I've been kind of in the technology industry there. I've worked with uh, a lot of data towards the end of my tenure at Microsoft. I was at Bing. So that was a very interesting world. And then I jumped into the startup world, Topsy Labs, my first startup, which later on went on to get acquired by Apple. Uh, where we worked around with Twitter data. We had the, we were one of the first companies with a Twitter firehose. So again, worked with, you know, getting insights and information, then jumped into the enterprise world with uh, my tenure at Salesforce, where I was part of Einstein, Einstein Analytics. We built out the whole business unit, worked with 
intense use cases, data, industries. And uh, later on, I did want to get into digital health, which took me to my prior startup before Skyflow, where we did health benefits at Clio. And uh, in a weird way, you know, I have lived the problems that Skyflow is trying to solve. Uh, personally, at Clio, where I was trying to build things, but got bogged down by having to uh, focus all my resources on making sure you know privacy and security is done right. And uh, yeah, that's my entry into Skyflow. You know, I've known Anshu for a very long time. Uh, I'd been talking to him through the time that Skyflow was being built, and uh, I couldn't resist uh, coming in and helping build this amazing product. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, and uh, just for reference, uh, Anshu Sharma is the CEO of Skyflow and, and the founder of that company, and uh, someone we both work with, very, you know, very closely. So you have this really, you know, I think. Um, great background that makes sense for kind of like where you are today, where you've, you know, worked on some security products, you worked with a lot of uh, data into sensitive data with the work that you did at, at Clio, you know, touching on health. And we're obviously, we're going to be talking about data privacy and, and data security as well as some pretty cool technology uh, and engineering that I think anyone working as an engineer or architect should have some level of knowledge about. But you know, in my experience, I think it's often hard for people not super familiar with the concepts of data privacy and data security to kind of separate that from the concept of cybersecurity. So maybe let's kind of start there. What is data privacy and data security and how does it compare to this other field of cybersecurity? You know, it's, uh, it's so common. You know, data security and data privacy are like, uh, I always think of them as two sides of the same coin, but they refer to completely different things in themselves. Because when you think of privacy, you're thinking of um, how do I protect the rights of a user? How do you ensure that their data is collected, shared, processed the right way? When you think of security, you're talking about protecting the data from unauthorized access and breaches. And then you come across this cybersecurity world where you're actually now getting into security and protection of systems, networks, hardware, disclosure, theft, all these different things. And while these three are different, a lot of times you could think of cybersecurity as a subset of data security in a way, but they are still different. So, I mean, I always give people this example of Facebook, right? They never had a security breach. Their cybersecurity systems were amazing, but they still were shared sensitive data out. So it's not that the cybersecurity team was not doing their job, the security team was not doing their job, but the privacy got leaked based on how the data was shared and how third-party applications were using it. So I think that's the clear distinction we need to keep in mind between those three. Yes, right. So like privacy goes beyond just purely the protection of the information and preventing essentially like a bad actor from breaching that information, but to actually how the customer or sorry, the company is actually utilizing that data and are they utilizing it in a way that's, um, you know, essentially compliant, follows certain rules and regulations and is, is not essentially destroying trust with their, their end user. Exactly. And I think um, that that's where the conversation needs to start is it's not enough to do only security. It is not enough to only think of cybersecurity, but every company today deals with any consumer user data. It may be anything, right? It, even another company's data might be sensitive data for you. And privacy is what everyone needs to start thinking about. 
So why is privacy something that's hard for these different companies? Like I imagine, you know, the Facebooks of the world or other, you know, large entities have pretty much, you know, unlimited resources, unlimited tech talent when it comes to trying to solve these problems, yet they still have all these challenges that they face. And even companies like uh, that have had uh, breaches that are similarly well-resourced, like, uh, you know, uh, a company that's you know, like, like Uber, for example, um, who suffered a breach last year. You know, these companies are well-resourced, well-staffed, have a lot of tech talent, yet they're still having these challenges. I think the biggest thing here is, um, first of all, it's still unfortunate for that for a lot of folks, this is still an afterthought. You're not thinking privacy first. Secondly, uh, what happens is when you're thinking privacy, you need to think of it holistically. It's embedded in every part of the company. So for example, when you talk about the Uber example, right? What happened there was, you know, phone numbers were being given away long time back. And then the people who dropped you to, uh, with the ride had your real phone number ages ago when they started and they were calling you. And that is a great example of how the whole workflow and end to end was not thought through in the beginning. Of course, Uber fixed it. They you know, put a great uh, library out there for everyone to mask phone numbers and stuff. But I think that's what makes it a little difficult, especially for uh, companies that have very distributed operational workloads to think about where all these things sit in. Half of the time, they don't know where the data is, you know. And then, of course, there's regulation, compliance. Unfortunately, a lot of times, people will just sign a bunch of documents and say, I'm compliant, rather than going in and technically uh, actually securing the data, making sure the end user's privacy really collected. So I, I think some of these pieces um, make it a little difficult for a lot of companies to think of privacy because of the expanse and the spread of the data across the whole company and the workflows. Yeah, and I think if you think of a you know, traditional engineering organization at a decently sized company, usually they're working in you know fairly small squads that are focused on particular features or particular parts of the product. And you know those those areas of focus might try have their own sort of challenges around um, the data that they're managing and maybe they're solving that problem within that silo but as you said this challenge of you know privacy is holistic across the business so just because you solved it or you dealt with it in one silo doesn't mean that that's actually been sort of dealt with at the macro level of how you're actually um, uh, protecting user information across the entire organization yeah I mean if you think of you know when we think of most common, breaches, the top thing that comes to mind is log files. You know, log files have a lot of sensitive data. So that also goes in. So it's exactly what you're saying, right? It's, uh, you can't do it in silos. You have to stitch it all together. And that's what it uh, makes it a little hard. Yeah, so besides the, you know, the silo problem, what are some of the big challenges in data privacy that need to be solved? I think one of the biggest challenges that I've seen as I talk to customers and everything is also the ability to know where your data is, how it's being used. And this is where, you know, even aspects of, let's say, access control, data residency, and all of that comes in. And uh, those tend to just become a larger challenge. And now as we are getting, and you know, I don't think we're getting, we're already in this world where data is just increasing so much. Insights, analysis, AI, ML on this data has become so important that it is sometimes a challenge for companies or for data privacy to make sure you take care of all of these pieces. 
where your data is. Is it resident? Are you compliant? Are you doing analysis securely? Do you have the right access controls? Are you, uh, you know, doing governance the right way? So all of these pieces are some big challenges that uh, organizations, small and big, are hitting today. How do companies that are, you know, they have the best intentions in mind, they want to prioritize, you know, privacy and security, how do they typically solve these challenges? So I think when you look at, uh, you know, even companies that uh, we looked at, and I always like to talk about, uh, you know, companies who've done this really well, like the Netflixes and the Googles, right? And they had this problem. And the way they looked at it is, how could we centralize where the sensitive data is located so that we can control the access to it? And I think that is kind of the holy grail for them to, and everyone else to be able to control how you manage privacy. And you get all of these pieces in the same place. And when you look at the others beyond uh, these who handle this, they are looking at encryption. You know, they look at encryption at rest, encryption in motion, but that has some gaps. Uh, some of the folks use data cataloging, data discovery tools to actually find out where your data is, which is great. Then you, uh, a lot of companies will have, you know, in all the tools that they use, they will set up different governances or access controls. And that is another place that they have. So there are companies that are, you know, doing these pieces. But again, they are, like you mentioned earlier as well, they're in the silos of these different activities. But there are companies like Netflix, Google, Goldman Sachs, who have gone into architectures where they are centralizing this so they can control what's happening with that sensitive data. Yeah, so you, you know, we've touched on this concept before in a prior episode. Um, and, and for listeners that missed that episode, it's called Skyflow Privacy and Compliance. And essentially, we talked about the concept of a zero trust data privacy vault, which is what you're alluding to that uh, you know companies like Netflix and Apple, Goldman Sachs had had developed. So, how does it you know the zero trust data privacy vault help address some of the big challenges around data privacy, security, and compliance? Um, so when you think of data privacy, security, compliance, like the key things that come to mind is first, let's make sure that all the sensitive data is isolated in one place. And that's the first thing that the world would do. It help you isolate all of that data in one place. Once you have isolated it, you want to make sure it's protected in a way that it can be used. So you're not only doing the standard you know, encryption and rest and in motion, but nowadays, if you really think of it, when these breaches or challenges are happening, they're not coming through the back door, they're coming through the front door, right? Applications, systems are getting breached. So you want to make sure that the data is decrypted only when you want to use it. And one of the big values of the zero trust wall that we're talking about is that we have tech called polymorphic encryption which helps you query or get insights or use the data operationally without decrypting it at all. And that in itself is a big part of the protection. And then there is a third branch when we talk about governance, who's getting access to what data, when, how this comes into play when you're different functions using the data, this comes into play when you're sharing the data with third parties, all of these pieces. So. When you think of what the wall does for you is the data privacy walls is not only helping you isolate and like kind of put everything in a safe, but helping you use it in that privacy preserving manner, which is extremely important. 
Yeah, so you mentioned uh, polymorphic encryption. So how does you know polymorphic encryption compare to something like uh, homomorphic encryption, which is um, you know something that people tend to refer to as sort of holy grail of encryption. So being able to perform any kind of operation over encrypted data uh, while not not ever having to decrypt it. Yeah, I think FHE or homomorphic encryption is out there. Um, I love the advancements happening there. There are like chips that are getting built to make sure that, you know, the compute can handle it, but it's still not performant for us to be able to use it operationally. And when you think of, you know, the data that needs to be protected, we are talking about certain specific kind of data. And this specific type of data gets used also in a very specific way. So when you look at the kind of queries that happen on this sensitive data, they are finite set of queries. And that is where polymorphic encryption comes in, where we're saying, hey, you know what? You're never going to do math operations on a social security number or a medical ID, try to do standard deviations and things like that. But you are going to query it to say, hey, give me the last four. Give me the first three of an area code of a phone number. And that is what polymorphic encryption is. It is basically allowing people to do encrypted queries on sensitive data based on how it will get used rather than just, you know, opening the kimono for everything. And I think that's the key difference between, you know, FHE is doing it for everything and anything and all types of data and every possible type of query, whereas polymorphic encryption is very intentional. Yeah, so essentially by restricting the problem space specifically to, you know, customer personally identifiable information, you're constraining the the the, the search space, making something like polymorphic encryption uh, performant, whereas something like fully homomorphic encryption isn't actually you know enterprise grade performance today. Exactly, and it's just putting it in the hands of everyone. Mm -hmm. So. You mentioned the you know this principle of isolation of the data privacy vault, where you're moving essentially customer data into the vault. How is this kind of different than say creating like a dedicated database that's encrypted? I think the way you want to think about it is when you are isolating the data, there are different ways you want to isolate the data as well. So sometimes when let's say the data is coming in, you want to de-identify just specific data store just that specific data in the vault and replace it with tokens in your actual database, which may be encrypted at some point. Because then that database that you have at your end, which could have, let's say, format-preserving totems, redacted or mass data, whatever it is, is still operationally available for you to run your workflows on. And I think that is one key piece of how this isolation is very different from you taking all your data and just putting it in a database and encrypting it because you're being very selective about uh, this piece. The other aspect here is also when you isolate just the sensitive data in the world, you're getting the advantage of also being a data resident in a very contained space. You're also having the ability to constrain your compliance scope because for a lot of folks who are, let's say, dealing with financial data or anything like that, they don't even need to store that data into their own databases. Otherwise, you have to uh, get into compliances, and that is what increases your compliance scope. So there are lots of different ways that the isolation that we do is very different from you just taking all the data that you have and just putting it in a database and encrypting it, because then you have to decrypt all of that stuff, even if you want to operate on some specific part of that data. Yeah, and I imagine 
you're going to have certain backend systems. If you were using the encrypted database model, you're going to have certain backend systems that are touching the data as well. And then you have to think through, well, how do I, you know, protect those systems, even if the data is ephemeral, like, am I, you know, logging it somewhere? As you mentioned, that's, uh, you know, logs are the culprits of a lot of breaches. So then you, you got to you think of it through, how am I locking down those systems as well? And I think what happens, you know, that's when brute force happens, right? Then companies go in and say, okay, nobody gets access to this data. And then developers have this hell of, oh my God, how am I even going to write code? This needs to run on this sensitive data. I can't really do anything. So it it, it just creates a lot of complications for, uh, you know, even the engineering team of a company to build uh, performant operational functions. Yeah, so you know, a similar concept around this principle of isolation is the you know, the technology of a of a secrets vault, where you essentially you're taking you know your API keys, your passwords, and so on, and moving them out of your your source code and bringing them into essentially a secrets vault. So, how does something like a secrets vault compare to the concept of the data privacy vault? So, secrets vault is very different from a data privacy vault, but they are complementary at the same time. Secret Vault is where you are, like you said, storing your keys, managing your keys, and the data privacy vaults actually integrate or use the secret vaults because that is where the keys are stored and uh, managed. So for example, the data privacy vault could integrate with the keys that you have there or KMSs, which is key management systems across any of these secrets vault. So as the name suggests, it is just stores the secret while the data privacy world stores the sensitive data and the secrets get used to encrypt and decrypt the data that is in that data privacy world. Mm -hmm. I see. And then with the data privacy vault, you know, Skyflow essentially advertises itself as a data privacy vault delivered as an API, you know, sort of how hard is it to get started? Can you walk me through sort of the process of using Skyflow APIs to, to offload data privacy and security in a sort of, you know, a simple use case? Sure. I think, uh, you know, when we say API, it's about making sure it applies to modern architecture simplification because that access pattern has not really changed. And um, the way we think about it is, let's say you are trying to adopt a data privacy vault. We don't want customers to think of, oh my God, I got to change the whole architecture, how I have built all of these things. And that is the key to th saying, do it with an API because it's the simplicity. You know what? You were calling in, uh, you had an API that was accessing uh, your backend database. Now that's just going to have a call to the data privacy vault and get that data. And while you do that, it's going to take care of access controls and all of those pieces. The other pieces is, you know, it's either shift left or shift right, depending on however you want to build your architecture. Let's say you want to isolate the data while you collect it. We have SDKs. You can embed that, and as soon as you collect the data, it gets isolated in the world. Now, if that's not something you want to do and you want to do it while you're storing the data, great. You know, you can basically isolate the data just before it hits your database. And I think the concept here is it's very easy for a customer to get started based on whatever kind of architecture they have and whatever approach they want to take either shift left or shift right with just an api integration rather than having to like set up a new server or database and go through all of those pieces 
So since the data privacy vault essentially is a, you know, a new piece of architecture that I'm kind of incorporating into my system, if I have an existing product, you know, do I end up having to sort of overhaul all my systems in order to uh, adopt this, this new piece of architecture? No, you don't. Um, and the, that's the beauty of it, right? Because this is all, you know, the cloud got this beauty to us because you're not worried about, you know, connecting to a different system. Either do you, you do a VPN direct connect, you do an API call, and you don't really have to re-architect or set up anything on your end. There might be a few things you might have to do for, with respect to how you've designed your application, where it's pulling what data, but that's as much as you have to do. You don't have to go in deep and change anything else within your um, database architecture per se. Mm, I see. And you know, when we talk about you know data privacy, you know, one of the things that often comes to mind is this sort of trade-off between privacy and utility. Like we can add a lot of security, we can add a lot of you know privacy controls and, and technologies, but then we might actually make it harder to use that information and a new extension of the data privacy vault developed to Skyflow is this idea of being able to run secure workflows. So essentially execute code within in the vault to help utilize that information. So can you talk a little bit about what's it mean to actually run secure workflows as part of the vault and what is sort of the utility value that you're getting out of that as a business? Yeah, I think a uh, great, great thing you touched upon because you know even the evolution of us building that out was when we had customers storing the data in the vault, at some point they were saying, hey, I need to pull the sensitive data out because I need to run some code on it because I need to gain insights from it. And that in itself was like, why should we do that? Let them run their secure workflows, like bring your secure workflows where your secure data is. And I think that's kind of the concept that uh, we went with. And the way it would work is Let's say you are you have sensitive data in the world and you are trying to basically process it, transform it in some way and say, send it to a third party or do some calculations on it. You don't want to bring that data back into your environment and you would potentially run code in whatever you want inside the world, take that output and send that wherever you want to send it. And that is the value of having those sensitive workflows within the vault where exactly your data is and going back to your uh, previous thought on utility and privacy, the vault makes sure it's private and then the ability for you to run your own code in where the uh, sensitive data or the private data is gives you that utility. So now developers don't have to worry about, oh my God, how am I gonna do this if all of this data is encrypted and I cannot touch it? You can still do it because you can run that code that you want inside the uh, data privacy vault. And that is the big value of being able to run these secure workflows, workloads inside the data privacy vault. Since this is, you know, I'm running code essentially <clears throat> over, uh, you know, highly sensitive data that's also mm -hmm. you know, potentially regulated. Are there certain restrictions yes. on the type of code that I can run? Like, uh, could I just, you know, pull the data and you know, send the plain text value somewhere, or or you know, log <laughs> that somewhere uh, to an S3 bucket or something like that. Uh, are, are there ways of of essentially restricting the workflow from performing those kinds of actions? Of course, I mean that's that's the whole idea. So, and that's that's the beauty of the world, right? Because you are getting those fine grained data governance access controls, or you would call it uh, zero trust access controls, that you configure on top of that. 
in addition to that, there are also certain um, operational restrictions. So for example, exactly what you talked about, right? You can't just pull all the data and dump it in an S3 because there'll be restrictions that have been configured. So all of those restrictions that have been configured on the sensitive data as it is being isolated and protected in the vault also extend to the code that is running on that. So you're not going to be able to leak anything beyond the constraints and guidelines or you know, the boundaries that have been set for how the sensitive data needs to be used. And that that is the beauty of being able to run it where the data is. How does something like secure or data sharing work. So if I need to secure, essentially share data from the vault with a third party to, I don't know, send an email or maybe process a payment or something, you know, the typical kinds, of, typical kinds of stuff that you're doing with essentially customer data, how does something like that work in the vaulted world? So in the vaulted world, what you're, what you're doing is basically creating a secure connectivity with whichever third party you're trying to first share the data with. And this could be with any kind of authentication mechanisms. Multiple of them exist, of course. And once you have set up that connectivity, then you have also guidelines on top of it. You have access controls on top of it as to what data goes to which endpoint. What are you sending to which endpoint? And as you're even sending it, sometimes we could uh, take, a, let's say, a tokenized data, detokenize it, send it to the endpoint, so they just see it and they quickly send information back and then we tokenize it and take it back. And all of this is happening over the secure connection. So that's where, you know, a data is being shared for operational purposes where let's say a payment is being processed or a transaction is happening. And then you have other sharing use cases where let's say, you know, I have a bunch of uh, health information that I would like to share with a third party so that they can go analyze the data or do analysis on it. Now, in this case, maybe I don't even want to put the sensitive data in there. So I might just give a data set which has tokens and share it with them. And this is where it's important where you have to close the loop because once I have analyzed this data, I want to act on it. But if I don't know who I need to know, who has some disease or who needs a warning, what am I going to do? And that's when you come back to the world and based on the sharing rules set up there as to who gets access to what data, you're able to extract that information. So you may not get the name, address, age, but you may get the zip code. And uh, that's the kind of, you know, different types of sharing that can be enabled from within the world. It could be direct sending data. It could be sending uh, abstracted data and then re-identifying it as and when needed. And also you could potentially create a vault for each customer you may have. And the keys that encrypt and decrypt the data in that vault is owned by that customer. So this is interesting when you are, let's say, an ISV that's catering to multiple customers. You can actually isolate each customer's data in their own vault in a way that they feel they have control over their own data. So there's a lot of different ways that sharing could uh, could be done from within the vault. So can we um, maybe dig into that use case that you touched on where essentially you're sharing tokens with the third party. Um, so in, in the situation where you're sharing tokens and you want to perform some sort of analytics on the tokens, uh, you know, maybe that's through an analytics store, like, you know, Snowflake, BigQuery or, or something like that, or, or perform some sort of machine learning on it. I, you know, how does that work against essentially tokenized data? 
So the the beauty of some of the tokenized data is, you know, sometimes these are what we call uh, uh, format preserving tokens, where you know you have deterministic tokens where Amruta will always be one, two, three. So let's say I have this tokenized data in an analytical store of any kind, and I am trying to do a group buy um, or see all the re uh, requests that are coming with mentions Amruta, I can just group by one, two, three and get that information. So as the data is going into these analytical data stores, they get tokenized, either format preserving and deterministic. So first of all, an email looks like an email, a phone number looks like a phone number. So you can do those operations. The same phone number will look like the same tokenized phone number. So you are being able to do some additional operations on that. And then when you do need to re-identify them, like I mentioned before, you can always go back and get the real phone number or the real name. So most of the times that's kind of the stuff that you're doing from an analytical use case. Right. So you're still, you know, essentially doing your your your, your account buys or your, your your joins and your group buys against the tokens. But if you did find out that okay, well, based on the data I'm collecting, maybe it's clinical trials data, and I identify someone has potential risk of heart disease, I could essentially uh, go back to the vault with essentially their tokenized data and tell the vault, like, hey, you should contact this person because they are at risk of heart disease, and you can perform that entire workflow and operation without essentially ever identifying the user on your end. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, the other beauty here is you don't even need to know who to send that notification because of what we talked about. We can securely connect to the third party. So you say, tell the world, hey, tell one to send an email to one to three or a notification to one to three that they need to go see their doctor or talk to their doctor about this. And the vault can send it for you. So in this whole loop, if you really think of it, nobody has touched the sensitive data at all. They've just analyzed and also closed the loop without even touching the sensitive data. And I think that closing the loop is extremely important in any analysis AI ML cases, because when we anonymize the data, we are losing the referential integrity and the ability to act on it. And that that is one critical piece that uh, the vault really enables you to do. Yeah, so you're essentially always insulating your existing systems from essentially seeing any of this information, but with this, the sensitive workflows, you can still perform those types of operations that you would want to perform all that data with, again, essentially insulating your existing systems. So in the case of, um, you know, processing some, let's say we're in, in the digital health world, then in the United States, you probably have to be HIPAA compliant. And I'm assuming, you know, when you put that data into the vault, you can essentially uh, use the, the vault technology to become HIPAA compliant. But if I need to share that data with a third-party service, let's say email or something like that, as a business, do I need to be thinking about uh, essentially vet that third-party service to make sure that they are also compliant? Is that something that I need to kind of to think through as a business? Yes, if you're if you're in a health business, um, the way it works, and I think we all kind of experience it, right? Um, most of the email uh, services out there are not HIPAA compliant. So let's say, I mean, I'm a Kaiser patient. So whenever there is a notification on my end, I just get an email that says, hey, you have something, go to your app or log into Kaiser to see this message. And that is because these email systems are not really HIPAA compliant. So that's if you are running uh, anything to do with health data, I think that is one thing you want to keep in mind is which messaging system you're using out there 
And most of the time, that's the normal usage pattern. And then what someone would do is send that email saying, hey, you have some sensitive information, go log into your app. Maybe that's done through the vault because that's a single email and the content of that email doesn't contain any sensitive health information. And all that the vault knew was the email address. So you could send it through any email server. And then when someone logs into the application, which is being run on a HIPAA compliant environment, they can actually show that health data for that specific user only, because again, you need to have the access controls to make sure that you know the right person is seeing the right information, a user is seeing only their information, nurse is seeing only their patient's information, all of that stuff. So we touched on you know use cases like essentially using the vault to securely store you know my customer data. So I want to kind of take that out of my infrastructure, as well as the one that, you know the use case that you just talked about, essentially being able to send some sort of you know HIPAA compliant email or some email. Uh, sharing um, directly with with the you know a third party machine learning maybe you know payments. What are other some of the other sort of use cases that the vault enables in combination with these uh, the support for sensitive workflows? Oh, there's so many you can think of. Uh, you know, importing data, uh, integrating with third parties. Um, you know, in the fintech world, there's a lot of you know payment reconciliation uh, reports that have sensitive data that you want to isolate so you can run your reports on it. Uh, let's say you have files that are have sensitive data and you want to isolate them and maybe extract the sensitive information from it because this is images that you can extract the names and everything from, store it, and then act on top of that. Uh, there could be uh, documents that you want to, let's say, send to DocuSign. You want to do, uh, you know, do analytical use cases, as we talked about. You want to de-identify the data and give the de-identified or the cleaned data sets to researchers, to anyone to be able to operate on it. I think there's like the use cases are immense, like customer service, customer, you know, even when you go into travel and hospitality, if someone's trying to look at your data, who gets access? So there's so much um, breadth of any code that is any user data that can be, uh, you know, taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one area of recent development that I think, you know, a lot of people are excited about is uh, confidential computing. So essentially, you know, using um, the feature of a, of a hardware solution like Secure Enclave to run certain operations over, um, you know, sensitive data or other types of data. And in some ways, the vault is sort of providing the same type of functionality promised by confidential computing. So how do you see this comparison? Besides the vault being a software-based solution, are there essentially other differences? Um, and sort of how does this stack up to, to the area of confidential computing? Yeah, I mean, confidential computing is super exciting, right? Um, being able to kind of have those enclaves where you can run those sensitive uh, workloads on data. And, you know, both of these, there's there's some principles that we share. But at the end of the day, what I always like to talk about is when we talk about the digital or the data privacy world, we're talking about an end-to-end -end solution, not small silos that people need to stitch together. Um, confidential computing is great. I can run great ML models, AI models inside that enclave where the data is, but we just talked about closing the loop. Now I found something out. How do I, you know, operate on it across the board? 
data residency, governance, being able to do all the operational use cases on the data, and being able to have, let's say, SDKs where I'm storing the data. So the whole stack, I think that is where what we're doing is complementary in a lot of ways with confidential computing, but also a much more compounded solution besides just saying, we're not just giving you the ability to run sensitive workflows on the sensitive data. We are giving you a lot more along with it. And I think that's what I would say is the key difference between what we're doing. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all, the goal is the same. Let's protect the sensitive data so it doesn't get uh, in the hands of malicious users. Which is uh, definitely a good goal to have. <laughs> um, so what are, you know, I want to dig in a little bit of some of the sort of engineering that's gone into, you know, what Skyflow's built. So what are some of the technologies behind the scenes that make the data privacy evolved and, and sensitive workflows possible? I think there's there's a lot behind there, right? Um, when, when we talk about what we have, we have um, hosted uh, crypto engines, which do encryption, tokenization, masking. Uh, we have uh, serverless customizability. There is um, privacy preserving hosted, uh, let's call it a ETL pipeline for you know simplicity purposes. Like all of these different pieces come together to provide the extensibility of the data privacy wall to let you do secure workflows and computes and things like that. And in addition to that, you always have the core platform, right? That is your um, encryption with your key management, with your auditing, with your uh, all the infra secure infrastructure that goes into making sure that the data that is stored is always, always privacy preserving. And what would it take, you know, if, for me to kind of like build this myself? Like, could I take a combination of, you know, AWS tools and maybe some open source products and kind of like cobble this together? Of course. I mean, anyone can go build this together. It's all about how many resources, how much time you need. And, you know, I, I'll be, you know, a little bullish here and say, we have one of the best engineers. We have cryptographers, people who've had, you know, our uh, security leader has 50 patents in encryption. I mean, the kind of brains that go behind building something that is so robust and scalable is not easy to find out there. So yes, anyone can do this, but it'll take you multiple years to build it, a lot of resources to build it. And you know, everyone just stops there. But what will it take for you to maintain it? What will it take for you to even do simple things like key rotation? Right. Any ops person out there will be like, oh, my God, key rotation is not an easy thing. It's simple to say, but, you know, you have to do it. Remember to do it. There's so many systems that go down because someone ignored an email that came in saying, hey, your key, keys are going to expire. Make sure you rotate them. So, you know, anything and everything can be built, but it's all about the expertise that is needed to build this in a robust, scalable way, because at the end of the day, you're talking about. If you don't do this right, it could impact your whole business. You know, um, one small breach is not only about the fines and, you know, millions and millions of dollars of fines that we're seeing, but it's it's an impact to your business. And you don't want to just do it at a whim, cobbling together a bunch of different technologies and just saying you have it here. And uh, I'm, you know, I come from a, the product world. So I'm always like, if there is something out there built by experts, why not use it? 
rather than trying to build it and then use my own experts to do something that's core to my own IP. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this is similar to, uh, you know, some I've had uh, a few people on the show talk about uh, authentication solutions that they uh, provide. And, you know, the there was a time when everyone was sort of, you know, building those systems themselves. But as they quickly find out, there is a real uh, long tail of issues that you need to deal with. And if you don't do it correctly, you can find yourself in a whole lot of hot water because essentially someone has penetrated your, your auth system. And now you're, you know, uh, having to answer a lot of uh, angry emails from, from, uh, from your customer base and, and go out and, and, and work with your PR team to kind of do damage control. So, so you mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the amount of expertise, you know, people at Skyflow that have, you know, PhDs in, in encryption and people with patents in, in encryption as well. I imagine, you know, there's a lot of specialized engineering that goes into a, building a product like this. You know, you need database expertise, encryption expertise, security experts, and so on. Can you talk a little bit about some of the backgrounds of the engineering team to build this type of technology and sort of how the team is actually organized? Yeah, um, if you look at the backgrounds of the team, we have people who have uh, worked on large-scale um, security and database products all the way from Oracle to Lyft to Salesforce that are, uh, you know, even Amazon who have managed infrastructures and uh, built out these data products that are sitting in our engineering organizations. And the way it has been organized is we have a dedicated team that is only focused on cryptography. All they're doing is looking at algorithms, looking at how we can optimize, because at the end of the day, performance is important and being able to optimize these things. So all they're doing is just thinking of all the different cryptography algorithms, encryption schemes, and things like that. Then we have a dedicated security team and all they're doing 24 seven is making sure we have all the security controls that we need. I mean, the smallest conversation we were having today was around YubiKeys. So our whole company uses YubiKeys and there was some of these leaks that came up recently around uh, DocuSign and, you know, not using the YubiKeys and all of our vault is also enabled with YubiKeys. So there are small things to large things around, you know, how does key rotation happen, key management happens, all of that that sits in the security team. And then we have all of our, you know, engineering, like infrastructure team, our database team. So we have dedicated teams for all of these important pieces, which don't have like one or two people. These are the folks that we were talking about with PhDs, with patents, experience building and scaling products that are sitting and thinking about this 24 seven. You know, What's kind of surprised you the most about designing the Skyflow product and taking it to market? You know, you've been at this for a while now. You've gone from sort of the infancy of the product. It's a, you know, maybe a glimmer in your eye to actually uh, uh, real customers using this thing. So what is kind of, uh, you know, when you look back on that time, surprised you the most about it? I, I think it's uh, what surprised me the most is, you know, similar to the question you asked before. Everyone mm -hmm. thinks they can build this. But when you really try to build this, it's not that easy. And I think uh, when I got into Skyflow, the most surprising thing, and not really a surprise, but what made it easy was, this is not a problem people don't understand. It's not something that, you know, it'll be like, oh, I didn't know this existed. Everyone knows this problem exists. But building a comprehensive solution for this is so difficult. 
And the way we have been able to build it, not losing focus on the core pieces, I think is extremely, extremely amazing. And what also surprised me is, you know, when you have a lot of really, really smart people and we have a ton of them, it takes a little bit to see them work really well together. And, you know, in Skyflow, that is, it's like a harmony. All of these smart people are talking the same language, working, you know, in harmony. And that's what makes it amazing to have built some a product like this. And that, that, you know, coming from a lot of different companies where, you know, engineers always have personalities and uh, the expertise and personalities and everything does not come in the way of building the right product here. And I think that that is one of the biggest things I would say uh, that helps build the right product. Right. It goes beyond just, you know, the collect, collecting the, uh, the, the right experts and putting them in the room together, but they actually need to be able to work together to, uh, you know, deliver exactly. a successful product. So yeah. what's next, you know, what's next for Skyflow? Oh, so much. I think, um, I won't say we've just scratched the surface. I think the data privacy vault is out there. People are recognizing it. You know, there was a recent IEEE paper that also recognized the fact that, you know, every architecture needs to think of having a data privacy vault, which is super exciting. And now that we've, you know, helped isolate, protect, govern, use, manage all of this data, the next thing is where we are going. Let's help you or all our customers run these secure workflows, secure code where the data is. Like make it a true system of record for sensitive data so you don't have to compromise uh, the privacy. While you know, you're know you not even compromising on being able to run your business or operate on it or give everything. So. Um, we have, you know, uh, launched the whole ability to run the secure workflows and functions here. Uh, we are expanding into larger markets, more verticals. So there's there's a lot more, and uh, you'll see us do a lot more on the analysis side. You know, as we start helping a lot of companies de-identify the data, help analyze the data, help share the data to kind of run, let's say, more research or more collaboration amongst uh, different places. So I'm super excited about uh, all of those aspects. Awesome. Is there, you know, anything else you'd like the audience to know? I think the biggest thing I, I like to tell the audience is we don't think of privacy as much as we should. And um, it's always there in your day-to-day life. And just being aware of that is so important and aware of who uses what data for what? Like, you know, I went to go take my prescriptions and they use my phone number and that's a lookup. And, you know, thinking about that and, you know, how that data is being used and every business out there that is using any end user's data, think about that piece. How is it end-to-end fitting in? And uh, I'll say this again and again, privacy first. Privacy by design is extremely important and everyone needs to think about uh, privacy by design. And that that's kind of what I would uh, leave everyone with because privacy by architecture in a lot of ways is the answer to, you know, the intention of privacy by design. Yes, uh, well said. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Amruta, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, I'm obviously biased, but I think the data privacy evolved and, and secure workflows is not only an incredible engineering and product feat, but a real sort of paradigm shift in the way you know, companies can potentially approach data privacy and security. And I think 
you and, and the rest of the team are really just kind of getting started in a lot of ways with this technology. So I'm excited to see how businesses start to use the sensitive workflows. And thanks again and cheers. Thank you. It's been wonderful to chat. All right.